When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Salutations, everybody. It is Maddie here today with episode 271 of the Ham Radio Podcast. No Carrick this week, no Dustin, just yours truly. So get cozy because you're going to be hearing a lot of my voice. Now, you may be wondering how this all transpired. We just came off of our most listened to episode of the year. Thank you guys so much for the support on last week's show. Obviously, we wanted to follow that up with a strong one. Now, here's how everything transpired, right? I have been making a ton of Bethesda content, a ton of Xbox content. I've, I've quite frankly been overworking myself. I've been going at it constantly. I really haven't had a day off in a long while. So I was thinking to myself, you know what? I kind of just want to kick this weekend off a little bit earlier. I asked the boys in our Twitter group chat. I was like, hey, guys, uh, would you mind covering this week's show? Now, Carrick was already feeling under the weather. He was like, dude, I just canceled both my shows. So I'm actually already out <laughs> as it is. And then Dustin was like, hey, man, it's up to you on how you want to handle things. So I said, you know what? The viewers shouldn't suffer because I quite honestly am just feeling a little bit lazy. So I decided, let me just do a solo show. I'll go ahead. I'll answer some questions questions from our Patreon Discord. I'll go over some of the major news this week and just have a one-on-one conversation. It's been a while since I've been able to do this on a more public scale. Uh, For those of you who are patrons, you already know we do an extra slice of ham every single week. Uh, We did miss this past week because, like I said, I was under the weather. I really wasn't able to continue to podcast and utilize my voice with good energy for long stretches of time. I was just going to focus on getting a patron video out this week. So the schedule kind of got tossed up in the air. I do apologize for that. But those of you who are listeners of Extra Slice of Ham do know you get those solo shows pretty much every week where we take additional gaming news topics or random topics like food and crazy questions, man. The stuff that I get asked on that show, it blows my mind. Anyway, it's a really fun show. It's very laid back, usually around an hour each week, which gives you guys like four hours of podcast content every week between our normal show as well as our bonus show. It seems to be working out really well. I'm happy we have a good system here. And like I said, last week was our most listened to episode. That was awesome, especially because it was one of our best ones, man. Like that, that episode was hilarious. I highly recommend you go back and listen to episode 270 if you have yet to. It, it was actually one of the funniest things. Like the, the nice job Phil Spencer story, I will not spoil it, but I've been talking about that all week, man. That, that shit was too funny. Anyway, as per usual with our introduction, I'd like to let you guys know what I'm working on. Also, I like to promote the Patreon just a little bit, but you can also become a member, get some of the same perks here on YouTube. The only thing that you do miss out on is the Patreon Discord. The reason for that is because there isn't a way to directly connect uh, the invites 
for Discord to YouTube members. So I have to keep that exclusive to the Patreon. So if you're interested in that, participating, asking questions that we do answer at the end of the show in mass, uh, then that will be your ticket there. But for those of you who want things like extra slice of ham, early access to this show, uh, bonus exclusive videos that do eventually go live to the public if you're not interested in paying that alongside your name in the credits in each of my videos, uh, you are more than welcome to sign up to the membership on YouTube or join up on the Patreon. We've been getting a surge of new listeners and new patrons, new members. It's been amazing. And a lot of that's because of our weekly live streams. I had to skip that this week, too. That's when you know, man. Like, look, I don't like to skip out on anything. I like to keep a really tight, rigid schedule. It gives me a sense of productivity. It makes me feel really good. I, I love my job. So for me to, like, skip out on, on the fun parts, it sucks, right? Uh, so I do apologize if after all of that exciting coverage that I did skip a beat here. But anyway... Uh, like I do with our intros, let's talk about what we're playing, right? This is our chance to just unwind, talk about a week full of games, and I've been bouncing really between two titles this week. Let me start off by saying I have officially done it. I have officially completed Trails of Cold Steel 1. This may have felt like one of the longest video games ever. Now, for those who aren't familiar, by the way, Trails of Cold Steel is a JRPG series. I played the first entry on the Vita. It's now available on the PS4. It's available on the Switch, or at least 3 and 4 are going to be available on the Switch. But Trails of Cold Steel 1 I had on the Vita. I bought it back in, I want to say, 2015. I remember finishing Persona 4 Golden in 2014. I was like, man, I need more Persona-like titles in my life. This was one that was strongly recommended. I don't know why it was. It's really not like Persona at all, other than the fact that you get bonding points for spending time with classmates. But it's not... There's no game like Persona, I've realized, because I remember someone recommended to me the Caligula Effect Overdose. That was supposed to be a Persona-like game because you're out of high school and you spend time with friends and there are these sort of social links, so to say. But but no game is like Persona, and I've just accepted that. But Trails of Cold Steel is incredibly strong on its own. Uh, I was really slogging through it, to be honest. <laughs> the first 60 hours are literally just world building. That's all it is. Chapter by chapter, they build the world, and you're like, oh my god, man. Get to something really interesting. But I know I've heard too many good things about this game in particular, how it wraps up, but also the entirety of the series and how it just consistently improves. And... People were right, man. The last 25, 30 hours of this game are spectacular because they ramp up. They have a clear, concise focus where they're not building the world because the world has already been established. And there is payoff, right? It depends how interested you are. And what's sad is that you can't just leap into two. I've heard you can kind of leap into three, but I'm glad I played it through. I'm glad I made it to the end because the, the ending to Trails of Cold Steel 1 is so nutty that I actually immediately ordered the sequel. Now, a little story on that. A hilarious story on that. I finished it, I want to say it was Monday night. I finished it Monday night, right? I go to Amazon. I see what's called the Trails of Cold Steel 2 Relentless Edition, which has one of the most fire steel books ever. By the way, don't look at it if you don't want to have something spoiled for you, like something very significant. So I'm like, oh, this looks insane. I have to get this. So I immediately order it. And it says, your order will arrive in like, two days. I'm like, what? I have to sleep once, wake up, go through a day. And then I wake up again and boom, it's there. That's exciting. Right? Like I, it just, to me, cause I was ordering it at 11 at night. I was like, it might be a little bit late, but I was super pumped to see it was coming. Right. And so the day comes package does not arrive. Then on all of a sudden my order updates, it's coming late. And they're like, it's coming October 1st or the second. 
It's October 2nd as I record this, 2 in the afternoon. Still nothing Amazon. And you know what's funny is I spent $50 on this game, right? I spent $50 on a brand new copy of the Relentless Edition because it's it's not like rare, rare, but it, it wasn't printed in a, a vast amount. And so I was like, all right, all right, I'll cop this for 50 bucks. I think it'll be worth it. I saw online a package of sealed Trails of Cold Steel 1 and 2 steelbooks for $80 on eBay. And I was like, oh, why didn't I just do that? I would have had it by now because if I would have had to wait to this point in time anyway. And I would have had both of them brand new in their steelbooks for what was a great deal. They're both like $50 games. It was, why didn't I do that? Oh, frustrates me to no end. But anyway, I finished the game, really liked how it wrapped up. I'm a huge fan of the series now. Uh, I'm looking forward to playing more. Would I recommend it is probably a question I may get from some of you out there. I think uh, it, it, it once it hits chapter three, which is about 20 hours into the game, um, that's when it really starts to gain a focus uh, of, of like a major villain group. And, and from there, you start to see the bigger picture. Uh, the game is at its strongest when it's focusing on the, the, the tension between nations. Um, that's what's sort of going on here. It's a very politically charged game where you have, uh, the Arabonia and then you have Calvart, I think it is on, on opposite ends of each other, these two big empires. And in the middle, you have Crossbell, who's this sort of neutral nation that is now declaring their independence. And it's, it's changing the, the, the order of how things work in the world and how these people respond to it. There's also this other faction that's trying to unwind things. And so ultimately you have a very, like I said, politically charged story about the the, the powers of, of government, the social classes and how people are treated, whether they're nobles or common folk. Uh, there's a lot there and it's really good. It's really, it's handled well. Uh, it's just about its pacing. Um, I, I know some people care about payoff. For me, when it comes to story payoff, I think there's a way to tell something interesting while making it feel rewarding when you get to the end. Uh, this was a like 2014, 2013 JRPG. Uh, it was made for the PS3 and the Vita originally. So there is there is some definite like age there that I understand. Storytelling has come a long way since then. You got to think that's when we were just picking up... Um, like our, 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 I almost said Series X, our Xbox Ones, our PS4s. It's crazy to think about, right? So uh, it does have some, it, it does feel a little dated. I know Trails of Cold Steel 3 is when the game actually, the series actually gets a budget. Uh, I would say look into it though. It is a, a solid series. Combat's great. Um, what I started playing after that um, was Genshin Impact, but also Lost Odyssey. So I'm working on a patron-exclusive video, member-exclusive video right now. It will go live to the public in December when I'm on my little vacation. Um, just playing some of these unsung heroes on the Xbox 360, we'll say. Uh, and one of them, you know, they're exclusive. They're kind of stuck on the Xbox family. They're not even ported to PC. Uh, one of them is Lost Odyssey. This was a JRPG. I wouldn't even say JRPG. It's got a lot of Western influence. I'd more so say RPG. Um, by a Japanese studio that uh, released in 2008. And I would have thought this was like a early 2010s game, man. This this title was so far ahead of its time. It is spectacular. I don't know how, A, this hasn't been recommended to me strongly. I'm very, very surprised people weren't like, have you played this game? It is amazing, man. A uh, really interesting story. You play as Kaim, who's a Eternal. 
which means that he never dies. So he's seen thousands of years of of war and conflict and you know the 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 rise and fall of society. He's just been through it all. And and so he's a mercenary and you you start off the game in this big battle that that's ensuing um between these I forget the name of them right now. I think it was the it was Goza and Ura, I want to say, are the two uh, nations that were kind of battling it out. Uh, it ends with suddenly a giant thing of like lava coming out of the sky and just melting everyone. Everyone except Kime. Kime lives because he's eternal and he has no idea how he's an eternal. But it's just that alone there is is what makes the story so interesting because they have this mechanic which I don't know if this is actually part of the DLC or not. I know there's DLC for the game, but it's called A Thousand Years of Dreams. And so you'll be walking around and certain things will happen in the game, like little conversations you'll hear or moments in the story that will evoke these dreams. And there'll be these mini visual novels that sort of paint a picture of a random part in Kime's memory that he, he's forgotten a lot of his past. Uh, and it's explained properly why that's the case by the way and it makes sense and it's not your typical like amnesiac protagonist sort of thing it it is handled quite well i'd say it's far from a trope although it seems like one at first uh but he starts to gradually uncover his memories and these memories aren't core to the story but for example one uh, i i read was a story of these people called upstreamers who like i think walked with the direction of the wind and they were sort of like nomads they'd plant their camps along with where the wind is, and they decide to either live like a normal town life, or eventually they'd feel the wind would carry them, and they'd go out on a journey and follow the wind with other folks who were upstreamers. And so he met this little girl. He was like a mercenary still. So he's helping this little girl uh, who was an upstreamer. He ends up coming around like 80 years later, and this little girl is now an old woman who is is being put to rest. And it's like an emotional experience. You're like, wow, like he... He said, like, he saw conflict in between that. Like, he went to war. He battled a couple of places. He held around in a couple of nations. And he comes back and, like, this woman has lived her full life and has passed on while he is still the same age. And so he's sort of this cold, detached protagonist, Kime. But yet the way they humanize him over time, uh, just a spectacular game. Uh, it's by the creators of Final Fantasy. So the combat's very reminiscent of that. Um, it's very much like, say, Final Fantasy VII Remake. You even see this nowadays where um, you'll you'll equip certain items like bangles or whatever, and they'll have skills. And so as you complete battles, you'll get SP and uh, for that item. So let's say the item has a skill that says, like, you, you do bonus magic damage when your life is at a critical state. Um, so you, you've complete, let's say you need eight SP to unlock that. So you complete a couple of battles, you get your eight SP. Now that is a skill you've unlocked, and then you can set that onto your characters. So there's always this sense of progression in every single battle, mob battle, boss battles. I was, this is the first RPG I found myself running around triggering random battles because I wanted to get every skill. It's one of those games also where like the older Final Fantasy games, there's a fixed camera angle. Uh, which which can feel a little... I, I haven't had problems with it, but it definitely feels a little weird to not have full control of your camera. But I do have to say, um, it is phenomenal. Really good RPG. Uh, the other game that I have been playing this week is um, Genshin Impact. What a strange game this is. I I know it's not in my wheelhouse. Like, there's two things that aren't in my wheelhouse on my channel. I know that. Like, videos that are sent out and... I want to say destined to fail, but they really have a, a, a strong chance of failing. And they have to 
get some serious luck to succeed or have to be like extremely high effort like my persona future persona video um and that's like a nintendo which you know you look at my super mario all-stars video and i know it was a little late but like what a flop (laughs) uh you look at that uh nintendo as well as like super hardcore jrpgs and genshin impact is absolutely that but genshin impact is very interesting because it is a free-to-play open world rpg gotcha game so it's very heavily inspired by Breath of the Wild. And what I define this game as, and it's it, this punchline is precisely why I want to make a video. Because it defines it so well. This game is a wolf in sheep's clothing. It looks like something is not as welcoming. It presents you this wonderful world that you can explore. And it's got all these Breath of the Wild elements. And how do I describe it, man? The game never stops you. Which is really good for a free... Because, like, its structure alone, it cannot time gate you. It cannot kick you out. Or at least it wouldn't make sense at all to kick you out of the world. But the way it works is it is driven by its gotcha elements so hard that I sit there and I go, why couldn't you have had, like, a free version like this and then a $60 version that I could have just paid for? And it would have gotten rid of all of this because... At the core of the game, of course, are these like loot-driven random drops. Uh, you as you complete objectives like opening chests in the world, completing quests, uh, you get these gems that you can then turn into a certain currency that you can then perform what's called a wish. And these wishes allow you to spawn random characters. Uh, I, I think you do what's called like a you can roll either one, which would be stupid, or do a ten roll. And you have the chance of doing getting a five-star character. Uh, these are, of course, the best characters in the game. Uh, and I'm not complaining because, once again, it's a free game, right? I'm not complaining at the notion of them wanting to make money. They have to do it somehow. But it's more so that everything is based around the gotcha elements. And the game would be amazing if it weren't. They had such a good game here that compromised its elements for two things. Number one, the gotcha stuff. Which, uh, I, you know, it's it's an interesting experiment. I'm curious to see how it plays out. Right now, the game hasn't stopped me. Uh, but number two is that you can feel the limitations because they squeeze this game onto mobile. So now every single update is subjected to, can this fit on a mobile device? It's also on PS4. It's also on PC. And that's what excited me initially. I didn't know this game was going to be on phones. Because when I saw Genshin Impact and I saw it was a free-to-play, gotcha, open-world PS4 and PC game, I thought, wow, okay, this is... This has a chance to be different because now the updates fit that hardware. But once I found out it was on phones, I was like, man, this stinks. Uh, So I'm adventurer rank 13, I want to say. Co-op unlocks at 16. I had a couple of buddies who have been playing about a day or so ahead of me. And uh, they got to the co-op. And let's just say, man, that um, it is really underwhelming co-op. It doesn't let you open chests in the world of the player you're visiting it limits like the content you can consume you're pretty much like nothing progresses for you so you don't benefit from co-op and and it just sounds like a staple to the game like we also have co-op but it's not the co-op that you'd want um now i know there are things like not expeditions um but there is a kind of raid system where you can go into these bigger missions with friends uh there are certain missions that are like 30 seconds long that you can do with friends. Like it's just very underwhelming. It's very underwhelming from what I was told. And you know, my friends have been playing it just like me. So I've, I've sank about like, I want to say eight hours into the game. Um, 
it is solid. It is very pretty. Uh, but you just like I remember going to a store in the game, right? It's like I said, Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. I go to a store because you're playing the game thinking like open world RPG. But I go to a store and then you see like the 80 currencies for how you ascend your character and the materials that make no fucking sense. And it's like every single gotcha game does this, man. You just have these materials in the world that are materials and materials and materials. And they're all like making zero fucking sense. Like it just, oh, this game could have been so good. It's not that it's a bad game. It just, you can clearly see it was built around these mechanics and it could have been way way better pardon me i had to take a drink getting worked up there so it's not like genshin impacts a pass it's a fun game uh especially if like you're you're low on funds you're looking for something free to play the game does not stop you which is commendable it's great and all uh you, you could i could totally see this being a game you could just keep playing and not pay a single penny for which is something to once again tip your cap at um it, it could definitely fall in that group of games like smite where um Smite is a free-to-play game that I put 300, 400, 300 to 500 hours in before I spent my first dollar on the game. And I'm usually not like that at all. But, I mean, between systems and everything, I put a lot of time into Smite. Um, I haven't played in a while, but I put a lot of time into Smite before I gave them money. I would not wait that long for something like Genshin Impact. But, um, yeah, it's just the gotcha elements. Like, the... The best loot, like weapon-wise, the best characters that have the most diversity. And even when you get the best characters, like the issue is, even if I say I get a five-star, which I did on my first free roll, I get this five-star character named Jean. And even if you get her, to make her better to ascend into the late game, you need to roll her again, right? You need to roll her again to get what's called her constellation up, which will unlock all these different passives that make her a much better character. And then, then she'll be good. But of course, you have to get a bunch of 10 rolls. And just like any gacha game, I don't even have to play this game to know this. Just like any gacha game, the deeper you get, they're going to, you You will still get rolls, right? Like you'll still be able to roll for 10 characters or 10 weapons, whatever. Um, but eventually it's going to slow down. And eventually you're going to feel that temptation to pay and I just don't like that feeling, man. Like, it, like I don't like to sound soft as shit, but it actually makes me feel uncomfortable. Like, when I was playing Tales of Crestoria, I like the game. Great story. Surprisingly great story in that game. But eventually, it's like the fun drops, and they're like, okay, you've had your fun. It's time to give us money. And once again, it's a free game. They got to make money. So I, it's not like I'm sitting here like, why are you doing this to me, man? I get it. It's one of those things where it's just... Ah, just let me pay for these games, man, and and get this shit out of here, or or minimize this shit. I, I, unbelievable, not unbelievable, but I get it. Anyway, yeah, working on a video for patrons and members, uh, featuring a couple of games on the 360 that are really just stranded there. And um, once I have Lost Odyssey done, um, that video should be out this weekend slash Monday for patrons and members. Um. Really, uh, really excited about that one. Got a couple of skits in mind. I think some of the videos I'm making for my December break are like the best content I've made. So like, I can't wait for everyone to really lay their eyes on it because, you know, it's just going to be like day after day of like, because I've had so much time to work on these videos where it's just going to be day after day of these highly produced videos. And I, I just, I can't wait for everyone to see them. So yeah, that'll be coming for the the public in December. Um, and then patrons and members can 
go ahead and get it now. All right, let's get into uh, the news. So I'd say the most significant news this week, uh, if you're a Bethesda fan, it's Starfield. But I'm not talking about Starfield in this episode. The reason for that is just, I, guys, I've made three videos on the leaks that have happened. Like, there's nothing more I could literally add to that conversation. Just leaks have happened. As the as the leaks continue, I will uh, I will cover them more. Uh, if there's anything worth covering, but just for those of you who are looking for additional Starfield stuff, I'm sure we have questions in the patron section. I didn't check, but I'm sure we have some in regards to Starfield. So if you're looking for more of that, I would hop over to that section. But for now, we're going to talk about what I'd say is the biggest news of the week, and that is CD Projekt Red and a, a discussion on crunch. And if this truly is actual legitimate crunch, there's been a, a bit of a development with this story here that I find quite interesting my initial take on everything that happened on Twitter, for those who don't know, I think it's important to preface this before even getting into the actual story itself, was I am not remotely surprised at all that CD Projekt Red is going into a state of overtime, we'll say, uh, for its employees when it comes to Cyberpunk 2077. This does not catch me off guard at all that CD Projekt Red is doing something like this. Um, but I did find it disappointing. And when, the word I used on Twitter was, is the human sacrifice actually going to be worth it now let me take a sip of water before we continue into the story i want to preface all of this by saying i am one of the creators on the platform who sort of has a mantra of it is not my duty to get offended for you on the behalf of people uh, like like the workers at cd project red it's not my duty to get offended for them like if they vocalize on say twitter or Facebook, or we see a conversation pop up or an email come out that there are disgruntled employees. I feel like that is when I should use my platform to speak out and put pressure on the company to say, make some changes. Right. But if no one is complaining, which I don't think CD project is, project Red is sitting there going, you cannot complain about anything. Um, then I don't really think it's my, my, my business to stick my head in and be like, how could you be doing this to them? Now with that in mind, a lot of times with crunch culture in video games, it's not really optional. You you are sometimes told it's optional, but then you get the situation like Rockstar where they say, if you don't do this, you're going to A, not get your bonus at all. Um, despite you working on the game for like five years, you're not going to get your bonus if you don't crunch or you're going to miss out on X, Y, and Z or we'll replace you. There's stuff like that that has happened in our games industry. And that's where I think cult crunch culture gets very toxic. I think there is a nature of overtime in the creative space um, that at times, I don't want to say you can't avoid, but I say this and I know working on videos is nothing like working on a game, but I know as a creative, sometimes my passion to make something takes over and I will work like three additional hours on something because I want to, I'm in that, I'm in the flow. I'm in a flow and I want to make it as good as possible and I want to accomplish this task and my passion for the project takes over the, the, the normal amount of man hours I'd want to work. Granted, I am self-employed technically, so I can choose when I, I walk away. I can choose when I walk in, but I have I have mental deadlines. I want to get in here at 11 a.m. and I usually work till around dinner. Or I'm sorry, I should say like 10, 11 a.m. But I like to work until dinner time. Once dinner time comes up, then I ease into my shower any exercise I want to do, or I'm sorry, I, sh I exercise, um, I shower, and then I coast into my evening by that point in time. But there are times I'll keep working, even though I started at like, say 10, I'll work till like nine, 
you know, because I'm really invested in what I'm doing or, or based off the, my schedule for the rest of the week, it just would make sense to, to continue working. Uh, and all I'm saying is that I know sometimes in the creative space that your passion will take over and you will willingly work those extra hours. I think the difference is with crunch, sometimes overhead will come in and say like, you've got to do this. And they don't care about your, the mental health issues that may come along with that. And that's where the, the, the conversation gets a bit hairy. Now, the reason pressure has been put on CD Projekt Red is because, and this comes from uh, Bloomberg, I quote, last year, Iwinski and Badowski told Kotaku that they were looking to make CD Projekt Red a more, quote, humane, end quote, place to work. Now, that quote alone, I think, says a lot. That if you want if you want to make your place more humane to work at, it acknowledges that it is currently inhumane. That word choice in its own right is quite alarming when they said that. Now that was earlier on, right? They were saying that they don't want to go ahead and crunch because then they said, quote, we are known for treating gamers with respect, end quote, Iwinski said. Quote, I actually would like for us to be known for treating developers with respect, end quote. Now, did CD Projekt Red treat their developers with respect when they said that there is going to be extra work uh, six day weeks ahead of the game's launch. Well, I really, I'm not going to tell you what to think because I think both sides are completely understandable. However, I'm going to present the information and then give you guys my perspective. And I'd say this is a well-researched perspective at that. So let's start off with the actual quote from the email, which came out through Bloomberg's Jason Schreier. Starting today, the entire development studio is in overdrive, Badowski wrote, elaborating that this meant, quote, your typical amount of work in one day on the weekend, end quote. The extra work would be paid as required by Polish labor laws. Many other video game studios do not pay for overtime. So once again, this right there, that quote there, that extra bit of information there is very important to know comparing that type of overtime culture to that of something we've seen at EA, Rockstar, so on and so forth. So just do keep that in mind. He continues on saying, I take it upon myself to receive the full backlash for the decision he wrote. I know this is in direct opposition to what we've said about Crunch. It's also in direct opposition to what I personally grew to believe a while back, that Crunch should never be the answer. But we've extended all other possible means of navigating the situation. Now that I believe is referring to the multiple delays. They've pushed it back comfortably, trying to work it through. And now they're like, okay, for the next couple of weeks, we need to work a extra day, which I think totals out to, I want to say six or seven extra days of work. So I think that simplifies things a little bit. You can say it's seven extra days of work or six extra days of work, but doing six days of work a week with one day off, um, you know, I, once again, I'll, I'll put my, I'll try to just give perspective through my situation. When I do the podcast every Friday, <clears throat> essentially my weekend, like most, doesn't start till Saturday because I'm when I'm at the office and I'm rendering out like the, the audio file for you guys to get it to early access. I'm really never home and through the door until like 10 p.m. on Saturday, or I'm sorry, on Friday nights. So my weekend doesn't start till I, I literally go in, I shower or whatever, I, I hit the sheets. And I, I wake up and, and so your weekend gets a little shorter, right? Like usually you want to be out the door by like five, six. So then you got a little bit of your Friday leading into your, uh, your Saturday. So now you've just got say your Sunday. Um, and so that's, that's tough, man. It's, it's tough regardless. I don't think anyone's taking away from that. 
Uh, Adam Badowski quoted Jason Schreier's article with a little bit of a write-up. And um, then I'm going to provide a little more perspective here. Because like I said, this is an evolving conversation. I, I don't know if there's truly a, a right or wrong here. And by that, I mean, if you're saying crunch is... I'm not saying crunch isn't bad, by the way. But if you're saying this is crunch and this is bad, you're not wrong. I don't I don't really think you're, you're, you're trying to like, you know, get upset on behalf of, of the developers of CD Projekt Red. I think there is some truth there. But on the other hand... Once I present some extra information, I mean, it's not like they're not making out really well on this. So let's talk. Uh, Adam Badowski writes on his Twitter in response to Jason Schreier, these last six weeks are our final sprint on a project we've all spent much of our lives on, which is true. This was announced in what, like 2012, 2013? Something we care deeply for. The majority of the team understands that push, especially in light of the fact that we've just sent the game to CERT, and every day brings us visibly closer to shipping a game we want to be proud of. This is one of the hardest decisions I've had to make, but everyone is well compensated for every extra hour they put in. And like in recent years, 10% of the annual profit of our company generate, uh, I'm sorry, 10% of the annual profit our company generates in 2020 will be split directly among the team. Now, I am friends with them, so you know, keep that in mind. Colin Moriarty put out an interesting tweet, I thought. He says, CD Projekt is forecast to net $500 million in profit for its fiscal year. It gives 10% of profits to its employees as bonuses, which Adam Badowski just confirmed. They employ roughly 1,000 people. In that situation, the average bonus is $50,000 per person. Meanwhile, the median per capita income in Poland is approximately $5,000 a year. So it is a handsome bonus for what is, as some will say, what do you say, six weeks out? So six extra days of work that will gain you a $50,000 bonus. Now, once again, perspective. We do have the Borderlands 3 situation. I think it was. Was it three or two? There were bonuses promised and then bonuses were pulled. Now, I think CD Projekt Red, with the money they are going to make hand over fist with Cyberpunk 2077, the money that CD Projekt in general makes through GOG, I'm sure these bonuses will be paid out. But once again, I think perspective is key. The other thing that we should be aware of is, to some extent, uh, the the labor laws that would be protecting uh, these workers. Because we don't know what terms CD Projekt Red would be employed at. Um, so there is something a little bit different with that. That's also worth keeping in mind. But point being is the reality here is for six extra days of work, six extra weeks of bonus time, they are, they're going to be employees making roughly a bonus of $50,000, uh, this year, which is a lot of money, uh, especially in Poland. Um, that is a ton of cash. Uh, and that's nice. Now, the question is, and it is a fair question, is the uh, the this the, this is still a human sacrifice, right? Is the extra time in the studio working on the game, working harder, being away from your family, all that stuff, is it worth it for that chunk of change? I think that's up to each person. Um, if you got to secure the bag mentality, I'm sure this is like, hell yeah, let's get to work, man. Let's get this out. I'm sure a lot of the team is eager to get the game out, man. The final stretch, right? This has been years of hype and discussion. I still vividly remember 
walking in 2018 into the E3 press room to check out Cyberpunk behind closed doors, man. Like I, I vividly remember that. And to think like now we're just about a little bit over a month away as I record this episode. I mean, it's crazy, man. So I'm sure they are as eager to get it done as humanly possible. I will say for me, my initial statement on Twitter, uh, I don't, I'm not one of those people like, I'm not going to delete my statement because my Twitter, like it's a knee jerk reaction, right? Like, uh, but I'm not going to like hide that. Um, I would say I would probably change my tune a little bit here because um, I think there is definitely a, to me, it sounds more like, I think there's a difference between like overtime and crunch. Like to me, crunch is like, We've heard about people sleeping in offices. We've heard about people like like Bioware's kind of crunch culture. Like we've heard some really brutal crunch stories. And I just think there's now we're starting to see a blurring between crunch and overtime. And to me, it's up to the people to decide, you know, is this um something where you know, is that 10% annual profit um is that worth it for them? And uh, if so, I mean, you know, let's say it is Colin's numbers that he generated here. You know, let's say it is $50,000. Is that worth it to them? Um, And, you know, after all the years of work and on and off crunch, by the way, it's not like suddenly the crunch is on, uh, on and off crunch at CD Projekt Red. Um, You know, I think there's a a yin and yang to this. For me, I would say, you know, for you got to take into perspective what they were through before this with CD Projekt Red. Um, you know, I, I'm one of the people who I always try to treat CD Projekt Red evenly. A lot of, a lot of people, and I stand by this aspect of my argument. People were like, why isn't this made a bigger deal when it comes to CD Projekt Red? And I'm like, I mean, I made a joke. I was like, because Witcher 3 good. Because I was like, anytime I ever have said anything like critical, right? I'm not negative about them. I love CD Projekt Red's games and I have since The Witcher 2. I have been a fan of them since before any of the surge of Witcher 3 popularity. Uh, It was one of the first games I bought on Steam when I got my first ever gaming PC. Like, I have a fond memory attached uh, to CD Projekt Red, man. They've provided me and all of us incredible games. I also think, like, the the Witcher Tales Thronebreaker, that game is insanely good. And, you know, a lot of CD Projekt Red fans have have skipped out on that one. It's one I strongly recommend. Like, they make uh, amazing games, man. And so... I joked saying like, oh, people are just giving them a free pass because The Witcher 3 is good. But like, you know, it's really, they're a tough company to be critical of um, just because there is so much goodwill given to them by consumers. So when you do say like, hey, this is this is wrong. And like for me, people came after me because I, I just said, I'm not shocked. That's the thing. Like I just said, I'm not shocked. And the reason I'm not shocked is because I'm like, CD Projekt Red's still a company. Like They are still a game dev that had like, they had trouble. They had issues, man. Like they had issues that they still do need to work out to this day. They are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and, and for me, I guess the way I, I don't carry it like I'm better than people, but I learned my lesson with Bethesda game studios, right? I thought there was after oblivion, Skyrim, fallout three Morrowind, you know, even to some extent fallout four, but you really think like, how do you like, there's no way this company just falls off a cliff. And and then you get like the aftermath of Fallout Four. You get Creation Club. Um, you, you you get seventy six, and it's like what the fuck? Like I would I never would have predicted that. I don't think anyone could have. And I guess for me that was like the strongest lesson I learned. Where I'm just like you know I'm not putting these companies on pedestals anymore uh, because it leads to 
it circles back to my original point that I talked about on an extra slice of ham. For those of you who are patrons, you'll know I made an episode called Game Companies Are Not Your Friends, right? I made a whole episode um, talking about, it was about CD Projekt Red. It was in response to the multiplayer monetization and how CD Projekt Red kind of took the uh, the PR that they had they had been spinning out about the game and, and not being monetized. And I know I'm well aware it's a separate product, separate on multiplayer, but a lot of their PR did not specify when clapping microtransactions and all all forms of monetization. They did not specify that it'd be a separate product. I think it's a very important thing to indicate to the consumer who's hyping you up. But they continuously denied any form of microtransactions, even though I think sometime before the news really broke, that there was a headline suggesting like they were going to look into monetization. But point being is when it was officially confirmed, um, like, like people freaked out and I was just like, I am not surprised. And the reason I'm not surprised is because I don't put this company or any company on a pedestal. And when you do that, the disappointment you set yourself up for is immense. Like while CD project red plays like that buddy, buddy, you know, we're your friends, man. Like they're a company. They are a company, and they will operate as such. I, I cannot stress that enough. Um, I, I like you know, and that's not to downplay any of the great things they do, but it's just that they are a game company. They they are going to operate as such, and so when they do things like crunch and they do things like monetizing their multiplayer, like the rest of the games industry, like they are a business. So when they see money on the table, they're going to take it. They're going to take it, and they know with all the hype of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven the goodwill they have from consumers, you know, they're, they're, people are going to pay money in this multiplayer. And that's not to suggest that, oh, because it's monetized, it's going to be unfair. But it's one of those things where it was a story that was blown, I'd say, out of proportion. And I think there are fair arguments being made that even this story about what's happening with CD Projekt Red and some of its uh, overtime for uh, Cyberpunk 2077 may have been slightly blown out of proportion too. I think it's because some people do want to just like see someone fall from their pedestal too. There is definitely a notion of that. But I, I do think um, it's because people have uh, uh, put this company so high up that when they do anything remotely off or really what's, I don't want to act like crunch should be a normal thing, but what has been standard in our industry and what we fought against, people were like aghast at the idea of CD Projekt Red actually doing this. And it's like, they have been doing this. <laughs> uh, and once again, I don't want to sound like a know-it-all. It's just I'm trying to vent my thoughts out here too because um, it's why I didn't make a video on it, man. Like I, it's it's one of those subjects where it is perfect for a podcast. There's just so much to unravel. It's so conversational. And the reason I – because I feel like a video – when I make a video, I like to make a point, right? Um, and sometimes that point will be somewhat neutral like this. But I don't always like to make those videos because, you know – I like to be more conclusive in my thoughts. For this, it's more like, here's the facts, here's the information, here's my perspective on it. Um, and that's fine, but I just I feel like it's it's better when you're making a discussion video to be like, this is my point I'm making, and this is why. Um, one example would be like, here's why Final Fantasy 13 as a series isn't as bad as you think. And it's still a perspective-driven thing, but it's like, this is where I stand. These are my thoughts. This is why. You can choose to respect them or not, but these this is it, right? Uh, with this, I feel like it's a very middle-of-the-road story. Um, so yeah, CD Projekt Red working a little bit of overtime. A lot of information out there. Um, I appreciate the level of transparency from Adam Badowski. I, I, you know, that's one thing I've always admired from CD Projekt Red. Um, they did it with the story length for uh, Cyberpunk 2077. I have a video coming out on that this weekend. That'll be interesting to see how that does because, you know, 
people are going to be like, why are you talking them up if, you know, if they're, if they're doing something wrong and so whatever. But uh, point being is uh, that video will come out. Yeah. What is it? Today's Friday. So tomorrow, Saturday. And with that, let's, let's move on to our next topic. Apologies if you hear me clicking around. When I man this show myself, I have to like have the entire podcast set up differently. All right. So our next bit of significant news that really just captured the industry by storm is uh, the, the Spider-Man PS4 to PS5 upgrade. So, oh man, th- this has been this has been a really interesting development for PlayStation uh, because we got news the same day that Microsoft announced um, that they were acquiring Bethesda. We learned about how uh, PlayStation was not letting you like carry over your uh, your saves or your copy of, of Spider-Man PS4 into the PS5 or something like that. Or you wouldn't get the next-gen upgrades with it. Um, essentially saying, like, pay or, or get the hell out. Uh, and so we just got a PlayStation blog post on Marvel Spider-Man Remastered. Uh, and it presents, A, an interesting conversation for where remasters will go in this next generation because they're money makers. They are certainly not going anywhere. But also, uh, what... Insomniac is doing. So there have been some screenshots that have been put out and they look phenomenal. Uh, Spider-Man PS4 already was a beautiful looking game. It looks even better now. Um, They said beyond improved models and materials, one of the biggest things we brought to the game is ray traced reflections and ambient shadows. We now have true reflections on the windows of buildings and it looks stunning with our new skies and weather. Uh, This was something I actually indicated in my initial review uh, in 2018 for uh, Spider-Man PS4. You'll see, I actually was um, looking at some of the windows in the review, highlighting that um, the way they actually portray the images in the windows, it actually can trick you into thinking like it's a true reflection. Uh, Now it is. And that's not something to uh, scoff at. There's a reason why uh, you don't see mirrors in games. And it's because they pretty much create a cell on the opposite end of the, um, of the room that mirrors it. So you're really doubling the level space when you do that. And so when you're looking in the reflection of something, they have to like recreate that level on the opposite. Side. It's crazy, man. There is a, a, a power, a power of technology here. Uh, uh, what, what should I say? Rather not a power of technology. That, that actually sounds incredibly unintelligent. It sounds like I'm talking out my ass. In fact, <laughs> I never said I was a tech guy, but still it's, it's putting on display the power of the PS five. That's more so what I was trying to say here. And so not only have they done that, uh, they said it's not just environments. Our characters have also gotten a huge upgrade from higher fidelity skin, eye, and teeth shaders to individually rendered strands of hair. The new tech and detail brings our characters and their performances to new life. This is where it gets interesting. This does bring us to one of our bigger changes in order to bring the best performance to players with our next generation Spider-Man games. We have recast the face of Peter Parker. We loved working with John Bubniak on the original game. However, to get a better match to Peter Parker slash Spider-Man actor Yuri uh, Lowenthal's facial capture, we have cast Ben Jordan to be the new face model for Peter Parker on the PS5 console. He looks incredible in-game, and Yuri's moving performances take on a new life. So definitely in action, uh, it looks better. You can see it is more lifelike. Um, that is 100% true. Uh, let's, let's continue reading. Obviously the focal point of this conversation will be the face. Additionally, thanks to the power of the PS5 console, we're now able to target a higher frame rate through performance mode, which offers 60 FPS. This allows you to experience the beginning of Marvel Spider-Man storyline like never before. 
One thing I have an issue with with these next-gen consoles is how they still have modes. Like, these games should run at 60 FPS, right? Especially a 2018 game. Like, this shouldn't be, I pick a mode and it runs in 60 FPS. This should be a situation where, at base value, it looks as amazing as it does, and it runs at 60 FPS. That's just my two cents, right? As a guy who's not a, a tech nerd, I just think it's one of those situations where the game should be running perfectly fine. 60 FPS should be the standard, and it should look amazing. You know, it's about time now. It's it's 2020. It is about time this stuff starts to happen. All right, so let's talk about the face. Uh, the internet got into a really big stink about this one. Really big stink. A lot of people were extremely upset that uh, Yuri Lowenthal's uh, uh, John Bubniak face was, was replaced by what seems to be a Tom Holland knockoff. Um, the way I look at it is this. Number one, you know, if, at, at my base opinion... I am not a fan of this. I don't like it. I think he looks kind of silly. Um, not even because I was used to one, right? Like, it's not like it, it, this year, uh, this, I keep calling him Yuri Lowenthal, this John Bubniak Spider-Man. It's not like, you know, he was ingrained in my head for years and years and years, like Tobey Maguire, and suddenly you got Andrew Garfield stepping in or whatever. Not the case at all. Um, but it's one of those things where, A, no one was asking for this. No one was asking for this at all. I don't know why they did it. Um, they say it's to take advantage of the PS5 and the next-gen capture. And uh, I'll just, no, God, stop, stop. Uh, B, it's clear that they're trying to create an MCU counterpart. And I don't know if they saw Avengers in the response to that. But, like, everyone outside of Kamala Khan looked like a fucking knockoff. And it looked terrible. It looks so silly, man. It looks ridiculous. What was great, I thought, about Spider-Man PS4 is it was its own thing. And some people may, may go like, oh, you're, you know, you're overreacting. Or people who don't like this are overreacting. But you got to look at it this way. Spider-Man PS4 was the first Spider-Man game that created some semblance of duality with the character of Spider-Man since really Spider-Man 2, where you'd go into the Daily Bugle, you'd run around as a knockoff Tobey Maguire, and you'd talk to J. Jonah Jameson, and you'd go out and take pictures on missions. That that was like in 2005. The year was 2018 when that game came around and actually had you playing as Peter Parker, making that a big part of his story. So I think, yeah, it's very obviously important how Peter Parker looks. It's also, I think it's just important to establish like a, what would you say, like a, a, a game universe Spider-Man. Like not everything has to connect in the movies because point C that I was getting to is it's not like the game struggled to sell. It's not like people looked at this and went, who the hell is this? This ain't Tom Holland. What is this, man? Like, no, no. So I just, I feel like it's changed for the sake of change. I feel like they almost did it to justify that price hike uh, to, to sell that ultimate edition of Miles Morales. I think they did it so that they could excuse the the lacking. I think they lacked the free upgrades. Let me go ahead and double check that. Spider-Man, PS4, PS5. We'll do free uh, free upgrade. Let's see what comes up here. Um, all right. Let's see here. PS4 players can't upgrade to my... Oh, what? All right. This is from Polygon. Hold on. Let, let's take a read here. But Spider-Man PS4 players can't upgrade to PS5 for free. Now, I feel like this is what I was saying earlier, but the title suggests otherwise. Um, PlayStation 5 owners interested in Marvel Spider-Man will have to repurchase the game in a bundle with Spider-Man Miles Morales for a new console if they even owned it on PlayStation 4. Spider-Man Remastered, the improved version for PS5, will not have any sort of upgrade path for the PS4 
version, as Sony, a Sony representative confirmed to Polygon over email. It will also not have transferable save files for the original game. Marvel Spider-Man is an enhanced version of Spider-Man. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, God. It's this quote. Oh, my God. This is the one where they say Marvel Spider-Man like eight times over. I'm good. I'm not going to reread that to you guys. Um, there aren't any plans to release this remaster as a standalone. See, this doesn't imbue any confidence to me about Miles Morales. It just sounds like Miles Morales is going to be a small-ass game. And that's why they're pushing this so hard. So, I think previously Sony said PS4 versions of launch games would include a free upgrade. But since Marvel Spider-Man Remaster isn't technically a standalone launch title, it's not eligible. So, I think, is Spider-Man PS4 backwards compatible? Spider-Man PS4 backwards compatible. It will run as a standard backwards compatible version of the game on a PS5. But the remaster you have to pay for. Okay. Yeah, man. It just sounds like they're pushing it then. I just had to... Sorry. I, I know that's that, that was an extra slice move where I look up information while we while we, while we we chat. But uh, that was that is 100% one of those... <laughs> most of those situations where they're just they're pushing it so hard man they just that does not build any any remote confidence for me with miles morales miles morales is probably gonna be a short ass game i'm sorry you don't push a remaster of a complete game that hard especially in light of like you do ps plus classic but then you don't put like spider-man ps4 in there just alone it's like you're obviously like especially when you got bloodborne in there you got god of war in there uh, you just got so many games in there, and then actually, he's got a four in there. I'm not sure, but I know Bloodborne's in there. That's all that matters. But um, yeah, it's clear that they're doing everything they can in their power to subtly push you into buying the remastered or going, eh, 80 bucks, sure, why, or 70 bucks, sure, why not? Let me go ahead and get Spider Man Miles Morales Ultimate Edition and, and enjoy that. So ultimately, when it comes to the face, I just I, I don't see a point in it. I think it's just to connect to the MCU shit. Um, which I think is which is also a waste of time. Um, it was fine on its own. It's not like the game struggled to sell. Uh, at the end of the day, does it ruin anything for me? No. It's just one of those things where it's like, why, man? Like, why are video games so weird? Like, why do you got to do this? <laughs> it's just going to annoy me. Uh, I don't know. I, I also liked this this version of Spider-Man also to me just it looks way too young. Yeah, I know Tom Holland looks really young too. But this this version of Spider-Man just looks way too young. What I liked about John Bubniak's, imagine I'm saying his name wrong, wrong the whole time. It's like Bubniak or something like that. But John's Spider-Man PS4 model, I liked because it was like, he just looked his age. Now Spider-Man looks like the 17 year old, right? Like <laughs> it doesn't look like the mid 20 Spider-Man that they were portraying. In my opinion, they're like, oh, well actually Ben Jordan's 26. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. He, no offense, but he doesn't look like it. When I shave my face, I sure as shit don't look like it either. Like there was a, uh, a, a good in between I'd say for, um, Spider-Man PS4's, uh, John face, but whatever. At the end of the day, doesn't matter. No. Cause half the time you're in the suit. So who really cares? Anyway, now we get into, after those two major bits of info, there really wasn't much news this week, in my opinion, that caught my interest. Um, we move on to our patron questions. Uh, this is probably our longest segment of the show, where we just go over all the crazy stuff you guys send our way. So let's start things off with Crazy Herb. 
With us just getting past the release of the Avengers, which upcoming game currently seems most likely to be the next AAA live service flop a la Anthem slash Fallout 76 slash Avengers. So if you notice with those three games, there's a track record, right? You see the game, you go, wow, this looks cool. Then you find out it's live service, and then you go, oh boy, why? And then there's no justifiable reason, and you start to see the greed underneath it, and you just hope to God that everything pans out all right. You really cross your fingers. But in the case of these three, it never really does. Man, Avengers, dude. Avengers is just... I That game bugs me so much. It could have been so much better. Um, it was clearly two different games. And like, as I've stepped away from it more, like I tried to make it my home base game. You guys know, I'm still looking for a home base game. Um, I just couldn't do it. The game's so boring and monotonous, just constantly repeating the same missions. All right. So which would be next? I mean, the next live service game that comes to mind is Outriders. But what I played of Outriders, I really liked. I don't see that flopping. Maybe player base wise, it doesn't have the energy that like these other three games have. Cause you know, one's a Bioware game, one's Fallout. And the other is Marvel. But um, Outriders, dude, Outriders, that that could be... I don't want it to flop, though. That's the thing. I'm a little biased. I don't want it to flop. That game looks awesome. So, And it plays awesome, feels awesome. Um, it's just... It's got some, like, B-tier shitty humor to it. So that might be its Achilles heel. But, uh, yeah, I was looking, and it's not a live service game, but I think the next kind of flop that has like the same amount of question marks, although in different beats, would be like Godfall. Because you first saw it, and you're like, what is this? And they're like, it's a looter slasher. And you're like, oh, it's a live service game. And then all of a sudden, they're like, no, it's not. And it's just the way they've handled like the PR beats, and then it's in every fucking show, and they're really pushing it. Like It's got all of those beats where I'm just like, this game is not going to be what anyone hopes it is. The difference, though, is that I don't see... Maybe maybe Godfall ends up being good, right? Like I hold out hope because the game like aesthetically looks cool. But when I was watching the combat for that last state of play that they did, oh my god, so boring looking. Holy moly! Uh, so that would be my prediction. I think Godfall is the next kind of AAA live service looking flop. All right, Dow writes in. Do you think Starfield will have playable alien races like how Elder Scrolls has it? See, I told you guys. I told everyone, ladies and gents that you would have your Starfield here. Uh, Starfield having alien races, if those leaked screenshots are to be believed, I don't know how much your race will play a factor, given the fact that you really can't see the character in their spacesuit, but they, they are they in outer space? Are you always going to be wearing that uh, spacesuit? It's a good question to ask. I would love that. I love how the Elder Scrolls starts off with races, and, but here's the thing. It's a branching thing. If you put races in the game, then you need to have the world respond to that. You need to have people acknowledge it. You need to have quests treat you differently. And so it's about it's about if uh, Bethesda feels that's worth their effort. Now, personally, I would like to see that. So that is my response. Do I think they will have them? Um, no. No, because I think the idea is you're, you're going to be like an explorer from either like another galaxy or you're going to land somewhere or you're just going to start off like i don't know they're they're, they're going to transport you there and maybe you know here's the thing is if if those screenshots are to be believed it's third person you want to see your character maybe i'm going to change my tune a little bit you know maybe because if it's third person you're seeing your character i doubt they're going to have you in a full suit of armor constantly it would be really cool to to play because then maybe it changes how you start like what planet you start on imagine that like you, you pick a certain alien race so you start on a different planet Oh, 
Yeah, I'm going to go with yes because my heart wants that. All right. AC Denton asks for our game of the decade. Um, In the last 10 years, that's a lot of games to go through. Uh, Nier Automata's up there. I really like Nier, but uh, Persona 5 Royal stands out as probably the most influential game I've played ever. <laughs> it's it's such a strong experience for me. You know, I, the way I look at it is like, I don't, I've never played a game that made me want to change how I work my channel and make cool stuff that like inspires people or excites people or, you know, just like I had a new energy after that game. It's also the last game I can think of where I was like in shell shock afterwards. Like I, I couldn't play games. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was just in a trance. Like it just shook me to my core. And I know it sounds so sensationalist, but it's true, man. For like three, four days, I was just like, fuck, man, like what a game. What do I do with my life now? Like I usually don't get that because I'm lucky enough to sometimes I'm sent codes, but I pay for my games, but I'm lucky enough to always be going from a game to game to game to game. So for me, I, I don't often have, and, and that all the more signifies to me when a game is very special, but I don't have those experiences truly as often now where a game like I'm left like laying in bed thinking about it. Um, like when I finished trails of cold steel, um, I sat there, I thought about it for a little bit. I talked to some buddies about it, but then I hopped into Lost Odyssey that night. Like, I, I don't know. I don't fin- I used to like when I finish a game, I just like chill, take the night off or whatever. Um, you know, it depends. Like if it's a review, which I haven't been able to do many like early access reviews and stuff. Um, when it's a review, you know, 100% man, like I'm, uh, I'm like taking my time to digest my experience. Cause I think that's very important. But when it's like me just playing for myself, like I'm cool with just moving on to the next thing. It's not like I don't, if I don't take that extra couple of hours, like suddenly I lose something in translation. Like no, um, but yeah, game of the decade I've got off track. I'd, I'd say persona five Royal that comes to mind. Obviously Bioshock infinite's up there. Uh, uh, Skyrim's in there. Holy crap, man. Like it's, it's, it's been a hell of a decade for games in the scheme of things. Um, there's so much you could probably throw in there. You move it back a year, you could throw Dragon Age Origins in there. Like, there's just so much good stuff. I would go Persona 5 Row. Jay Lopez writes in, Sup, dudes, enjoying the podcast a lot and keep up the good work. Thank you. My question is, if BGS announced a Fallout remake with all the bells and whistles, which one would you personally want as well as which one do you think Microsoft would allow after the new deal? All good to rapid fire. I get it. Just realize you kind of answered the question on the podcast. Feel free to skip. Nope, we're not skipping. I don't even remember when we announced that. Or when we announced that, when we talked about that. Um, I would personally want Fallout 3. Um, I think that I have a video in production on this for next week uh, that I'm going to to go forward with. And it's that I think that given Microsoft's love for remasters, we've seen it with Halo Master Chief Collection. We've seen it with Age of Empires. We've seen it with Wasteland. I think Microsoft is a fan of remasters. They see value in it. They see value in digging into the past of their old IP. I and even though they offer, you know, backwards compatibility for say Fallout Three or New Vegas, where I can slide that into my Xbox One and play it, it's all it's all good and great. Uh, I think they do know that a multi-platform release of like Fallout Three Remastered or Fallout New Vegas Remastered or a bundle would serve them incredibly well financially, um, and it would definitely help them earn some of that money back that they're that they spent on Bethesda. Uh, straight from straight from the, the the product they purchased themselves at that, um, I think that would be the first thing they do. Uh, I, I would I would want Fallout Three uh, if they did New Vegas. I would not certainly complain whatsoever. 
uh, it would be extremely exciting. Um, I, I don't see them doing like the, because you mentioned the bells and whistles. I think that would include like Fallout 4 shooting. Um, that definitely is something that I would love to see, but I know that requires like reworking how skills function in the game, um, how they affect your 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 accuracy. And, and so you have to go in and, and redefine some of the RPG mechanics in the game, uh, which, you know, you got to put an effort if you want to make a good product. So that's what I tell them. But I don't know if they're willing to do that when it's available backwards compatibility. Can, backwards compatibly. Uh, so I would just say, or sorry, through backwards compatibility. That's what I was looking for. Um, and so I, I feel like, yeah, it, it would just serve them better financially. Just be like, all right, well, upgrade it, 60 FPS. Um, maybe restore cut content, ship it, boom, good. That'd be cool. Uh, Dow writes in, if you could have any exotic animal, what would it be? I'd go with a black or white wolf. I don't know. I've never been that type of guy, you know? I don't look at wildlife that belongs in the wild and go, you know, like the people who have pet lions. I'm like, what are you doing, bro? Like, you're just wake up with a slash neck at some point from one of these lions, man. Like, oh boy. Um, I, I guess like maybe a bear, like a bear seems like so cool. Um, even though they terrify me, if you could somehow make that animal, it's not really exotic, but if like you can make that animal into something that would, you know, chill, relax, I'd be all over that. That'd be cool. Chris Cozy writes in with two questions. One, knowing that the Mass Effect remaster won't have multiplayer. Yes, I'm as disappointed as you, Maddie. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. What are your thoughts on a future standalone Mass Effect multiplayer game? Is there horde mode enough on its own? Or what are some other modes that would work? If it happens, I guess I'd, uh, I guess free to play with loads of microtransactions and maybe a PvP mode with AI mixed in. Um, uh, I feel it'd be an out-of-touch move. I feel like what was cool about the Mass Effect multiplayer is it was supplemental, and it was also really good. It did play a factor into how the endings uh, had rolled out, um, where if you had the, uh, I think it was like the Ready at War. There there was a specific term for it, but I know most of you played Mass Effect 3, know what I'm talking about. I haven't actually played it since the game had come out. I, I have been away from Mass Effect 3 for an extremely long time, which is why I'm very excited to go back to it. Um... Well, yeah, I don't think multiplayer on its own would work. Uh, the horde mode sort of is enough, but in the multiplayer, they did put spins on the modes where you'd have to like capture command points or defend certain areas. So there were like built-in modes within the horde itself, but I think that's why it was acceptable. It was essentially just horde mode, so it was okay for it to, to, to just be supplemental. If it's on its own, there's a higher expectation. Um I would love to see, I see the thing, man, like Mass Effect multiplayer stays underrated. Um, it's just, it, cause it, what happened is that I still think Mass Effect three is a good game despite its ending. I think it's a good game. And then you had like this amazing multiplayer game on top of it. It's just like, what? Like, Oh my God. Incredible. Um, yeah, I don't know if it would actually, it would actually happen, but I, I would love to see them roll things back and, and, and bring it in to the, the remaster. Uh, someone had actually pinged me when I was talking about how the endings, I think because it was on an episode of the podcast, how the endings may work. And there was something that was patched in that kind of made it so that you didn't have to like grind the multiplayer and you could just get like the true ending, so to speak, in Mass Effect 3, which, you know, the hell is even that? Uh, all right. Number two from Chris Cozy. As a Halloween idea, can you guys dress as the Trailer Park Boys? I think Carrick could be Julian, Maddie could be Ricky, and Dustin could be Bubbles. I have an oddly high amount of Canadian pride for that show, considering it's about trailer trash. <laughs> yeah, the way Dustin was talking about that show, I definitely want to give it a look. 
Um, I'm sure they'd love that idea. I know Dustin be all over it. He said he it's one of his favorite of all time now. Yeah, so. Tropical Ice Cow writes in, what are your thoughts on the Xbox One X sales increase of 750% on Amazon for people ordering wrong consoles when pre-ordering opened? Uh, All I can really say on this is that uh, the people who made articles who were just fucking loudmouths on social media about the idea that consumers won't get confused, You're, you're projecting, where are you now? Right. Like there were so many people out there preaching. And I'm just like, no, man, like this name overlap doesn't work. It does not work, man. Like as someone who has a mother who who has a son, me, who is highly invested in video games and talks about them all the time. And there have been times and I'm, it's not like I'm upset about it, but like there have been times where my mom has gotten the wrong game when I was a kid. Now, it did pan out like there have been times where she got me the wrong Batman game and it, I ended up getting Batman Vengeance and I fucking love Batman Vengeance. But point being, man, is like. Or, or when I wanted uh, Final Fantasy and she got me Kingdom Hearts, dude. Like, dude, you know, like what a what a great miss by my mom. That is incredible. So like, look, misses happen. And, and you know, like these parents come in, they're not knowledgeable, but they want to make their kids happy. And like your naming has to be in order. Now I know how does, how does mama, how does mama Maddie plays mix up Kingdom Hearts with Final Fantasy? I don't know. I don't know if like she went in there looking for Final Fantasy and they said, we got something that has Final Fantasy in it. <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but all I'm saying, man, is it happens. Parents are parents. Um, you know, they, they're just trying to make their kids happy. So I'm not shocked at all that people order the one X and, and to the people who, who were out there preaching like, no, it's not going to happen. Please be quiet. Please be quiet. is not a small increase, by the way. That is thousands of systems that were purchased by accident. That is insane and terrible. And once again, highlights Microsoft's awful naming structure of 1X. Like, call it the Series L or something, right? Like, call it Series... Put a different letter there, because when you use Series X, 1X, people are going to go, huh, what's the difference, right? The the information, the labeling, anyone who's coming in who's new is going to be fucking baffled by what Xbox is doing. And that's why I think the Series S will do just fine. But people are going to be like, what's the difference between the 1X Series S? Like, dude, oh my God. It, it, it can, it's not that it confuses me. I'm an enthusiast. But like, you you just look at that and you're like, you scratch your head. You're like, who came up with the naming convention here? All right. So Jay Lopez asked Dustin, uh, he just got his new PC set up. What monitor do you recommend at 1440p? Also, I need games to play for PC my first time, and I've been playing PlayStation since PS1. Wow, welcome to the crew. Uh, Do I have this bookmarked? Fuck, it's on my laptop. All right, yeah, so I was just looking at monitors, and uh, I was looking at one. It was about, it was a four, it was a, it was a 2K monitor, right? So there's, there's 4K, which I think 4K is supported on screens. I'm going to try my best here to help you out, okay? Obviously, I'm not the tech guru of the show. It really goes on the hierarchy Carrick, Dustin, myself, I would say I have learned from them and I was researching my monitor and I believe until a certain screen size, 4k is you're able to achieve that. Like it has to be a certain size. I don't think say you could have like a, could you have like a 28 inch 4k screen? I don't think so. But point being is, um, let's, let's verify that first. Let's do this together. Chat 14. Uh, can you, can you have, uh, 4k monitor at, at 28 inches oh there we go lenovo 4k monitor hmm i stand corrected 
Let's see. Let's see if I did 20 inches. I thought there was a screen size thing. I think 28. Uh, what is with 2020 vision? If you want a monitor that's larger than 15 inches, ideally, uh, you would ideally want a monitor with a 2K resolution instead of 1080p. Even with a 2K monitor, however, once you get above the 20 inch screen, you should start to see a difference by using a 4K monitor. Okay, so there is a minimal. Okay, I was not incorrect on that. Just my my order of operations in my head. <laughs> you guys are with me on this journey, man. We're learning this together. Um, I was looking at a 2K monitor, however. Because I think like 4K monitors are ridiculously expensive. This Lenovo one isn't bad though. I'm looking at it right now. 28 inch Lenovo 4K monitor. Um, let's see how many hertz it is. If it's even got it, it's not showing it. View all specs. Uh, let's see here. Hertz, 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 hertz. HDMI, it's got a display port, that's good. Um, but this thing is this thing is two hundred and seventy dollars, which is which is pretty cheap. Uh fifty to sixty hertz. Interesting. Okay. So it's not the one forty four where you could really that's probably why it's cheaper. The four K one forty fours are pretty pretty friggin' expensive. Uh just know that for a fourteen forty P monitor, you're definitely cutting the cost to like the two hundreds. Um, I'll, let me look up a specific one because I, I don't have it on me right now. Um, Dell has some good monitors. Um, Acer especially. I, I'd say depending on your budget, if you can spend it in the 200s, go with an Acer monitor. Um, they have they have pretty good 1440p monitors that are like 27 inches. I don't know why Siri's going off. Anyway. Uh, that's what I'd go with. That's around the 200 area. Um, but once you're there, maybe you could, you could look a little bit into 4k. If you're looking to scratch that 400 area, I don't know what your funds are looking like, man, but uh 1440 P you'll get along just fine. Just make sure you do 144 Hertz. That much. I know, uh, games to play though. I don't know if you're like trying to stress test your rig or if you're just looking for PC ex- exclusive games, so to speak. Um, if you don't have, once again, if you don't have a lot of money, like I'd say hop on the, like the Epic game store. They're, they're always giving away some free games. Um, but like, don't be that person. Like my friend, he got, um, I remember he got, uh, his, his PC and like, he immediately played like old Xbox games on it. And I'm like, bro, like use what power you have. Like, why are you playing like KOTOR? <laughs> like why? Uh, Star Wars Squadrons came out today as I'm recording this, and uh, this this game looks phenomenal, man. I, I'm excited to play this one. I, I should have a video out next week on it. Um, that's one you can look into. What else they got here? Uh, what would be a good PC game? Look up PC game uh, PC Game Pass. That is actually a really good place to go. I do PC Game Pass. You can just test all types of things, man. Go crazy with it. All right, sorry. I know that was a lot, lot more long-winded than if Carrick or Dustin were here, but I'm trying my best. Uh, Horse of Fire writes in, will there be fishing in Phoenix Rising or will there be fishing in Starfield, like on other planets, etc.? That would be amazing. Okay, so I looked up Phoenix Rising and I typed in even like Phoenix Rising game and all I'm getting is Phoenix Rising FC. So I don't Phoenix Rising. I don't, I don't. I think you're thinking of like Ashes of Creation. I think it was. Nothing's coming up for that though. 
Um, will there be fishing in Starfield? That would be kind of cool, though. I like that idea. Loki writes in, do you think it's possible in any way for Microsoft to buy uh, Bioware from EA considering Bioware's past two games haven't been hits? They have so many RPGs right now. It would make sense if it ever happened. Uh, this is a great question. I think it's very well possible, but I think the the stronger reality is that you see EA like shutter Bioware and then some of the higher ups leave and they create their own studio and they go independent. I think that's more than likely. I think once you leave EA, you don't want someone else hanging over your head. Even if it's like a flexible, a seemingly flexible company like Microsoft, I don't know if you transfer over to that. Now, if it's just Bioware as is, I do. I, I would not be shocked if, if Microsoft wanted to buy it from them because think of Bethesda game studios was like a core of the old Xbox. I mean, obsidian partially was, and then you look at Bioware who was like fundamental to the rise of RPGs on Xbox. Like it makes so much sense. It would be absolutely incredible. I would love to see that happen. I think it's possible but I think you need to see EA like relinquish that. And I think more likely you, you don't see that happen. Um, Cause EA would just like, even if buyers at their worst, they're still making the money somehow. Where if EA were just to sell them outright, do they make enough to like sit on that stack of cash? I mean, they could just sit with their EA sports and be fine. I don't know. I don't think it's possible. Cause I don't think you can just like trade companies like sports cards. Horse of Fire writes in again, for Starfield, I was wondering if you could build cities and do engineering and harvest ore with machines you build for engineering slash building, just like you were able to do in the old PC Star Wars galaxies before the jump to light speed expansion, or they will not have the level of complexity for building slash harvesting, etc. It's really hard to say, given the fact that we don't know a lot about Starfield. It really goes into how in-depth they want to make their settlement building which seemingly is in the game i won't even call it settlement building maybe like home base building uh it would be really cool if you did have like engines running and machines running that because we did see um i think it was contraptions was the name of the dlc for fallout 4 where they did give you machinery that like would produce ammo and all this stuff so fallout 4 did tinker with that a little bit i don't know if that carried into 76 i don't think it did because ammo was like a very precious resource um but yeah, I, w- I would definitely say like that's something you could safely imagine coming over into Starfield. That'd be cool. So let's go ahead and uh, oh my, Natural Calamity posted. I know what you're thinking. Well, this is this is an extra slice thing, man. I'm surprised he put this in the podcast section. I know what you're thinking. What is this? Mint green tea watermelon. It's a mother yucking avocado smoothie. I gotta admit, not bad. Discuss. What in the fuck? Hold on. Is that actually a thing? Avocado smoothie. Oh my god, it's a fucking thing. Alright, we're moving on. I'm not doing this. My fat cock writes in. Oh god, I'm just getting trolled all over the place. Is there a game you love where the mechanics were garbage, but the story was so enticing you couldn't stop? For me, that's Red Dead Redemption 2. Felt like Arthur was regaining his range of motion after being in a full body cast for two months. Yeah, I think that'd probably be my answer too. I don't think Red Dead Redemption 2 played that well. Like even mission design wise, it was always like, okay, how's this going to turn into a shootout? Otherwise, it was a really good story. Uh, Conversely, is there a game you love with great mechanics, but a garbage story that you also love? For me, that's Sonic Adventure 2. I feel like without the inclusion of Maria, so many... (laughs) 
<laughs> so many furries could have been avoided. Um, oh, a game that has great mechanics but a garbage story. I would say pretty much like every Warriors game ever. I love Dynasty Warriors. I love Samurai Warriors. Uh, Hyrule Warriors is fun. Fire Emblem Warriors. They're all fun, but their stories are always garbage, but they're just fun beat-em-ups with great progression systems, and I adore them for that. Lord Shankor writes in, what is your favorite Mass Effect moment in the original trilogy? My favorite moment is when you had to defend Tali in front of the Quinarian, uh, the Quinarian Admiralty Board. Uh, Admiralty Board? Sorry, Admiralty Board. Reading is not my specialty today, it seems. Um favorite moment in the whole trilogy uh obviously one is the we'll just say the ending part of mass effect 2 uh of course punching the reporter out that's another really popular one that i really liked uh i liked the jailbreak with jack in mass effect 2 as well i thought that was really neat kind of caught me off guard um just something about it just seemed very different i don't know how to describe it to be honest once again these games are very vague in my brain because i played mass effect 2 a little late i think i played that in 2011 or 12 i got it for christmas mass effect 3 i played on launch i haven't played it since there goes my dog um mass effect 1 i played in 2008 and then i replayed it i want to say 2010 uh so it's been it's been a good chunk of year since i've dove back into any of these games now we move on to vault 101 guy who writes in saying number one correct me if i'm wrong but i don't remember a bethesda game being leaked besides starfield i wonder why and it seems like the leaks happened right when microsoft acquired them um so i would say you're somewhat correct uh bethesda did have uh fallout 4 scripts leak which did suggest kind of when the game was set and uh, how things are being handled with that as for um, the timing of it, at least based off what Skolzy was saying in one of his videos, it seems like these images have been around for a while and then they just kind of got out. Like they were already on the internet and then they just got out. Um, so it seems like um, it was more so just strange timing. But that's just based off, like I said, what he said in his video. So you can take that as you will. Outside of that, other leaks from bethesda games i'm trying to think like wolfenstein doom um it nothing really comes to mind yeah they're they're pretty locked down with their stuff man and i think it's because of the the culture that they have they're the, you know that's the thing bethesda may not make like the best games ever but they do have people who give a shit and i i mean i do commend that i don't think fallout 76 was a give a shit product at all but i think outside of that if you erase that from history i think most of them you can see like between dishonored prey uh, even the evil within, which I'm not a fan of, but like, uh, what else? Uh, Elder Scrolls Online, Fallout, and so on. Uh, the, the the previous Fallout games. Uh, I think you can really uh, say that you can see they care. Uh, number two, do you believe there's other life in the universe? Uh, yeah, of course. The universe is too big for there to. It's only just be us on Earth. That's my logic, at least my nerd logic. All right, question one from Natural Calamity. He's only got three this week. I'm shocked. No offense, Natural, but I'm very shocked. Uh, one, when was the furthest vivid memory you have of being visibly excited for a game? Getting up and dancing in excitement, singing, and your skin crawling. My vivid memory of this was Saints Row the Third, sitting down uh, stairs, uh, sitting down, st- hold on. I, I, like this isn't actually me reading. Hold on, my last, my last vivid memory of this was Saints Row the Third, 
sitting down stairs up to my oh because he space down space stairs space up to my counter it's downstairs is one word comma up to my counter sitting in my underwear and eating cocoa puffs as one does seeing the trailer pop up on my youtube feed i remember jumping in excitement seeing the vtol the dubstep gun killing folks with a shark shotgun holy shit <laughs> running around that i didn't say that holy shit by the way that's what he wrote running around the house singing james brown i feel so good at the top of my lungs so my question is when was the furthest you've had any sort of insanity uh or do you even have this level of insanity um hmm i will say this fallout 4 Obviously, I think I, I don't think I need to really say more than that. Fallout 4 drove me up a wall with like child, childlike excitement. Um, <clears throat> I think a big part of that was also just having a community to like share my excitement with. So there was definitely that. Um, what else was there? Uh, the the acquisition, Microsoft acquiring Bethesda, that was like, fuck yeah like that was i was extremely excited about that i had like a little pep in my step um as for a game that had me like jumping up and down i remember this is more career oriented but i remember when i it's funny you bring up saints row i got my review copy of saints row the uh the the fourth saints row um i think it was called saints row four i don't even remember at this point in time i I, the game is solid but the series has gone dormant since um but yeah, I remember my review copy came in and it was like my, f- it was my first ever review copy. And I was like, they gave me two weeks to review the game. And I remember like actually jumping up and down and I sprinted out. I showed my mom and then I got so excited that I crashed. Like I started downloading the game and I passed out on my couch. <laughs> so that was one that, uh, that was 2013 or 14. I was really Really excited about that. Um, but that was more a career or career oriented thing. I wasn't like super, super stoked at you know the idea of like the game. Really, uh, you know, you'll probably see at, my, at me at my most insane if they bring back the old Republic in like a very faithful fashion. You will see me lose my shit. Question two. Now, actually, you know, let me let me just emphasize that a little bit more. Not even lose my shit. Like I will. I've had actual moments where like I'm taking a shower or I'm like on my walk and I think of like if KOTOR got announced like a remaster or if they brought it back and I I start to feel like a dopamine rush like the idea of it like that's how obsessed I am with this series the very fucking idea that has me stoked imagining if it actually happened I think I would rupture a lung screaming so loud and I'd probably break the ears of my audience I'd probably even cry. Question two, CD Projekt Red announced they are going to have their staff work six-day weeks leading up to the release of Cyberpunk 2077. I don't feel like I need any developer to crunch so I can play a game. Mental health and family time are important. I agree. However, I don't understand how this practice is different to retail workers who have to put in long hours for the holiday season. I know a lot of people who work retail open at 6 to 8 a.m. and close. 8, uh, 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day from November to the new year and the same thing in other occupations. Even though I don't see those practices are frowned upon, or I'm sorry, as frowned upon, why is crunch when it comes to gaming seemingly frowned upon, but no one bats an eye when your UPS driver works long hours during the holiday season, retail workers making sure you can get your holiday gifts or construction workers 
working on roads and buildings. So this is totally fair. And I kind of wish I brought this up in my initial discussion. I think a big part of it is really that the conversation focuses on how you can fix game crunch and it's kind of culture really. Cause that's what people refer to it as they're like, it's a culture. Um, and I don't think that means that it shouldn't happen or like, it's okay. It's happening in other areas, right? Like, I don't think that's the idea. Like, because we want to get rid of game culture, we, we do want it, or we don't care about UPS drivers and all that stuff. Um, I think that's also, no, actually, you know what, that, that'd be incorrect. Um, I, I just really think it's more so that it's not that people don't want that. Um, I even had someone tweet at me saying like, why don't you just work retail? If like, you know, you think this is human sacrifice and I'm just like, I don't think that has anything to do with the situation at hand. You know, I guess it's more so that I think that's where like unions step in and stuff. If I, if I, if I am correct on that, uh, someone can by all means send a message or post a comment, letting me know if I'm incorrect on that. But I do believe that's where unions would step in. And I know there are people who want to like unionize the games industry, but I always thought that was that conversation seemingly comes up when studios get shut down all of a sudden, like you have a telltale situation. So I agree. I think it's bullshit that you have to fill these companies agendas because they want to maximize a profit. At the end of the day, I think whether it's gaming, it's your UPS driver, uh, it's someone working as a cashier. I think it's bullshit either way. Um, but that's just my two cents. It's a great question though. Question three from mafia four. What do you think they go with? Maybe a sort of a mule storyline, uh, how the cartels connected the mafia and how drugs are smuggled into America back then. Besides that, I can't really think of what time they could go to and what they could maybe do. Uh, maybe Shanghai in the West coast area. What are your ideas? Um, I would, uh, I would like them to take a true... See, the thing is, is with Mafia, is they have these great cities, but they never make them explorable with side content. So quite frankly, that's what I want. I don't care where they go. Because at this point, it's not even about that. I know they can make good stories. I know they can make these intriguing worlds wherever they go. They've done it for Mafia 1, 2... I'm sorry, 1 Definitive Edition, 2, 3. That's not my concern. My concern is filling it with stuff that's going to pull for my attention and keep me invested in the game world. That isn't just mindless side content. That is my priority. School vendor. All right. Don't know if it's just me, but all these Starfield leaks aren't exciting me at all. Not like the Fallout 4 and even 76 to an extent. Think it may be that it's a setting that Obsidian has literally done and done very well. That and you also have Mass Effect Remaster on the way. It's going to be quite a bloated genre and setting. Well, that's totally fair. I don't think anyone should be getting excited for it. But in all fairness, this shouldn't... I think the idea is League number one should have, I think, piqued a lot of people's curiosity. From that point in time, I don't blame anyone for not being excited by the leaks. Because as I've said in, I think, two videos now, they're not exciting leaks. Like, it's just seeing what the game looks like. The, like, seeing the spacesuit tells you a lot, right? It tells you kind of the... Maybe the, the 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 vibe that Bethesda wants to go for with this game. Um, seeing the HUD tells you a little bit, right? Like there's little telling points, but none of this generate is designed to would generate any hype at all whatsoever. 76 didn't leak. 76 was a game that was teased. And then we got information through Jason Trier of Kotaku at the time that it was going to be an online survival RPG. And I remember instantly seeing the interest on my channel for that game tank. I'll always remember seeing like literally the 
the number line was like straight like on a plateau and it fell off a cliff it was actually fascinating um but yeah man like it's one of those things where the Fallout 4 leak was different. There was a lot of build up there. We got scripts. Then nothing happened for the game for like half a year. Then suddenly it's Bethesda's first E3. Like there was a, you know, a chain reaction of moments there that made Fallout 4 so hype, I think. Uh, Obsidian did just do it very well, but Obsidian does hub worlds, right? They do hub areas that are not nearly as expansive. Bethesda Game Studios is going to be far more open, far more interactive. I think that's another thing. Uh, Mass Effect, once again, hubs, great RPG, incredible choice and consequence, but a very different game. <clears throat> so I think all of that does change things. Uh, Funk Rat with our final write-in says, not a question this week, just a reminder to you three and all the listeners out there to stay hydrated and have a great week. Let me go ahead and take a sip as we wrap this up. I hope all of you out there <clears throat> are doing the same. It's funny. My voice has been pretty good this episode. But I'm now, just as we're wrapping this up, getting a little raspy. So perfect timing for us to conclude episode 271 of the Ham Radio podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed just this solo episode. I appreciate those of you who are understanding with how uh, the situation unfolded between myself, Carrick, and Dustin, and how we managed to get this episode done. So hopefully you find this worthwhile. You find it enjoyable. We'll be back to our normal stuff uh, next week where it's going to be us three having a good time, making stupid jokes, and all of that good stuff. So... For now, I hope you guys enjoyed episode 271. Keep an eye out for the Patreon and members exclusive video coming out uh, around sometime this weekend. Should be a really good time. I think people are really going to enjoy it. It's focusing on some special 360 games, as I alluded to earlier. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'll talk to you guys soon. Stay sexy. Stay active. I love you all. Peace.